Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's the day after, I mean, it's the Sunday following uh, Pesach, and I'm going to get back in the swing of things. I'm going to do today's talk uh, for, uh, in honor of uh, something nice we had in the show today. A young boy put on film for the first time. That's Izzy Shuchman. That's the son of Eitan Ariel, the grandson of Jake Albashalm, a very important person in, in my uh, Kila. And uh, and uh, I see the Bar Mitzvah boy is going to be soon be making a CM on the Shisha Sidri Mishnah. So uh, that's very, uh, obviously, very commendable. And uh, I'll just get right down to uh, so Mazel Tov to the family, and here we go. I'm I'm talking about um, I want to I want to pick up where I left off before. I was going to do the Shem Tovs with the history of the Jews in Spain in in, in 1391 and so forth, uh, and the Holocaust that hit at that time, and uh, I'm interested not in the history exactly of what happened in 1391. That's for another time, but. Uh, the reactions to it, and by that I mean the from reactions to it, uh, which is so similar or or, or parallels in, in some ways uh, in our time reactions to the Holocaust of of the 1940s. Uh, and this is very interesting, broadly speaking. I was going to talk about the Shemtos, uh, but before I did this, I thought of another one that I'm going to do first, which in some ways is better because... There's two ways of responding to these um, Holocaust phenomena, I think. One is to blame Yenem, and the other one is to blame yourself. That's what I like about what I call the Rabbi Victor Miller type. It's always someone else's fault for the Holocaust. The non from the Zionist, the this, that, the Mechal Shabbos, all the rest of it. It's never our fault. The, the former are perfect. As opposed to, let's say, Weissmandel, who first of all lived through it, and second of all said, it's because we cheated the diamond business, you know. So that's a different way of looking at it. Um, so to, to not to spend a lot of time on this, uh, the events of 1391, which really lasted for, you know, a couple of bad months, let's say from, usually we say Easter, but to be perfectly honest, more like Rosh Chodesh Thomas. So, uh, Thomas of Elo, I guess, that's when the, uh, terrible pogrom swept from one end of Spain to the other, town after town, in repeat performances with huge uh, massacres of Jews and even larger shmad conversions. I mean, by the tens of thousands. And uh, it was really a bummer. And there were some Jews who, who somehow or other avoided that. And what I'm about to read you, uh, share with you a document, is not so well known at all. His mom was from that time. Because the bad times lasted from about 30 years, about from 1391, let's say 1417, 1418, something like that. And, uh, I mean, I can get into the nitty gritty, but this is not a history lecture. This is just a podcast. And uh, we have a remarkable document in my mind from, uh, not well known at all, uh, from that Kufa by a guy named uh, 
Shlomo Alami, who was like a, uh, I guess you'd say a rabbi, Rosh Hashiva of some sort. Uh, and he wrote a letter to a student of his who had moved to Portugal. For some reason, the pogroms did not spread to Portugal. They went all over Spain and not Portugal, even though Portugal was next door, which is something of a support for the thesis of um, Bibi Netanyahu's father wrote this thousand-page book, Baruch on the 1391 massacres and their aftermath, and he says the whole thing wasn't spontaneous, as most historians would say, but was planned out. Uh, I'm not going to go into that right now. Uh, but here's somebody writing in the year 1415, right in the middle of all this junk, and he's writing to a student, and it's called Igeris HaMusser. Techidon knows about it. And uh, from Shlomo Lami. And like I said before, he was a Talmud Chacham of some sort. And uh, it's Igeris Musser is what it sounds like. But part of it, it's the whole business is about 30 pages. And uh, it's not well known. I myself do not have the good edition from uh, Avram, uh, what do you call Avram Mayor Haberman, who uh, put it out with the Musser of Cook. I don't have that, but uh, uh, Gideon, hat tip to him, found the formula line from Steinschneider from the 1800s. Uh, who put out an edition, which you can get online. And it's a good edition, and the letters are clear. It ain't Nikudos, but listen. Uh, and uh, it's about 30 pages or so, but not all of it's Nogaya. I can't read 30 pages in a podcast, but there are extensive portions with that I want to share with you, simply because, just as I did with the Gaona gossip stuff that I did a couple weeks ago, uh, I'm sharing with you, uh, historical sources, original sources, I don't think most people have access to and will ever encounter. And uh, here's somebody writing about what happened to us uh, in terms of the Holocaust of Kufna and Olive of 1391 and, and, and thinks about it. Most Jews at that time, just like most Jews after the Holocaust, don't think. Fortunately, Jews go around like, buh, just, you know, unthinking. Maybe that's healthy, I don't know. But uh, on the other hand, it's not intellectually satisfying. Uh, but there were those who did. The problem is, uh, the Holocaust hit everybody, from the not from anybody was Jewish. Uh, the biggest Hasidim in Spain, like the Russian children who were killed, and the uh, and the opposite, or grandchildren, whatever, and and, and the biggest non from. So, you know, how do you give a simplistic explanation? And he doesn't. He calls a spade a spade. Baby, this guy Shlomo Alami obviously didn't care what anybody thought. He's, I'm going to call it as I see it. And uh, without any further ado, I'm going to read you portions from it. it like I say, it's the whole thing is, is long, but a lot of it is just plain old Muslims. It's not Nogaya. I would say half the first half is primarily, not entirely, primarily just Stam Musser, in a written in a rhyming way. You know, the Sparnum are good at that. It's actually a very nice rhyme, but whatever the case is, he starts uh, by writing to a student that you move to Portugal, etc., etc., and uh, he says, If you read this, don't get angry at me. Because I know, you know, uh, let me put it this way. I know it's been a garnish, you know. This is what, you call, what I always call one of these pro forma declarations of self-abnegation, which are de rigueur for the Muslim literature. Uh, but, you know, he says, I'm a garnish. I know I'm a garnish. But I'm writing this because I've been perplexed and, uh, what's the right word, emotionally disturbed over the Holocaust. 24 years now it's been. 
which hit us 24 years ago in the, in the year 1391. See, so he's obviously writing this in what, in, in 1415 or so. Um, and, um, and what he called, he's, um, you know, uh, in the middle of still the pogroms were still going on and the persecutions. And I'm asking myself, as a religious, intelligent person, what's this business that every generation of their mom is wiping us out? Because he lives in the 15th century, and that's the second half of the Middle Ages, which was quite different than the first half of the Middle Ages. And the second half of the Middle Ages is characterized by constant expulsions, persecutions, tortures, mass murders, uh, one country after another. One country after another. What the heck is going on over here? You see? Um, and you can't just say, no, move like her. You know, like, what is this? Until the person who wants to remove his blindness will. That is to say that God shook me up. And then I realized we dug our own hole. That's what he says. We, we dug the hole in which we fell in, meaning it's our fault. For all we caused it all. Okay, and it's not God's fault. That's I'm writing all this, and so on and so forth. Maybe you know some people take Musa from it. Like I said before, a lot of this, fortunately, is just plain old Musa stuff. It's not Nagaya. But parts of it uh, really are, uh, for example, and, and I, I, I'm not going to, I'll just read you a, a little bit over here. He says, Don't talk during davening. And you, you know, you'll daven without any kavonah. Don't be like people nowadays, we Sephardi Jews who talk so much in Shoal. Or people who <laughs> the people who don't talk in the Shoal bring English books to read during Davening. the Maskilim of that time, And they're reading they're bringing uh, English books which make fun of religion. So in other words, uh, so the rabbi is giving a speech and people are dominating and this guy's reading a book which makes fun of the whole business. And uh, uh, and he says, stay away from uh, drunkenness because a lot of people are into, in, into this uh, drunkenness and going to uh, brothels and all kind of stuff like this. On and on and on. Uh, and he criticizes Hamekel Batar Masakam Shevra Sheker Una and people who cheat guy in business Bechal Tovas Hashem Kolosi of a yimoner, they're among those that Hashem hates. Kitevo emes lamid lahami kasher tevo lahashmi lahashmi. It's a nice poem. Tevo ho emes laamodul hamid. The way of emes is it puts you on stable foundation. Tevo lasheker lahashmi lishamid ulashmid. You know, that brings destruction and so on and so forth. And like I say, it's musar, 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 until he gets to the part in second here. Yeah, here we go, um, page about halfway through. I mean, it's one Musa thing after another very, in rhyming form. And then he gets, Altismach Yisrael Gil Bo'amim, Bachnosis Kala Bachasan Bristamim, Hisnatsal Me, 
He says that instead of uh, carrying on at weddings, nowadays, for example, we do He says they should introduce in the weddings uh, a prayer for the recent Holocaust. Remember all the bad stuff that's happened to us in Spain for a long time now. And he's writing in 1415, and he says, Mishnas 1148, it all started with the Almohads in the time of the Rambam, and the Almohads, the Muslim um, um, extremists, destroyed all these Kehillas in Spain, first in Western Spain, then in Eastern, and uh, happened in the time of the Rambam, and Alicino, the big yeshiva, the Lakewood, Alcino was all destroyed, and so on and so forth. And then it's, it went, so no, we went through a real bummer in the middle of the 1100s in southern Spain. And then we were expelled from France and England. And all kind of other countries in Europe. No, this never happened before. The Jews suffered mass expulsions. You and I are kind of used to it. And you and I know that the Jews of Spain were destined to undergo this and the Jews of Portugal. Um, well, not actually Spain. Um, but uh, it's never happened before. And as a result of these persecutions, the Hasidi Elion, the Frum, were killed by Cherub, Olav, Tanur Ashen, Lapidesh, Rabba ben Exarim, Bayira Pagarim, Vayatola, Srefim, Acholasesh, Mizrim, they conducted pogroms. And they destroyed the Svarim, as we know, and burned the Sefer Torahs, and all the Jewish wealth, and all the Jewish women were raped. And whatever dignity the Jews had was stripped from them. And Jewish honor and dignity was trampled into the ground. Once upon a time, to be Jew- Jews was a chashot thing. By the time to get to his time, being Jewish is like a is an inferiority uh, status. And so forth and so on. And uh, and this hit recently in Spain, in Castile, and then Catalonia in the year 1391. And uh, uh, another 21 years goes by, meaning during this 30-year period that I told you about, that the survivors from 1391 all of a sudden were reduced to uh, uh, indignity. I can't even count how much bad stuff has happened over there. And they started... Passing all kind of laws that Jews have to wear different clothing, like we say today, the yellow star. And the Jews were were subjected. Uh, this is the surviving Jews who did not convert. They're subjected to um, all kind of economic restrictions. Mischar, Chakirius uh, is renting out. Umnius, any kind of trade. Similar to what happened in the time of the Rambam student, habit is happening now. They're kicked out of good houses and have to live in shacks. And like it says in 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 um, in Echo, 
that those who are raised in luxury now living in in terrible poverty and and um, going to so in other words the Jews who survived are going through hell. Kol get it? Kol whoever still is Jewish Yeshu Basukas as opposed to living in a house. Bakayts of Achoros Adem Vecherpah Brov Hamuksim Amaschachim and the 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 what do you call it? Uh, the Jews who used to be mostly tax gatherers and things like this for the king. Now they're up the creek because they've all been fired from their government jobs. And the trouble, the, the trouble is, so many Jews have been in the uh, working for the government in, in tax collection that they never actually learned their parnosa, and now they've been fired. Um, they're starving because they don't know how to make a living. And all kind of other tsars, and this happened in in Aragon because we have a new king, and the new king is now making new gzeris, which never happens because usually the kings are the ones who protect the Jews. And and because so many Jews lack housing and shelter, they're dying in the winter, young and old. So basically, um, right now, when he's living, I repeat, these are the Jews who have not converted yet, who are lucky enough somehow or other to avoid that, and were not killed yet, but they're being crushed and dying from non-pogrom stuff. For example, de-housing, being fired from jobs and having no pernosa, being stuck out in the cold, malnutrition, and all kind of stuff. Right? And if you ask, why is this all happening? It's our fault. God only acts out of justice. Okay? We used to wear Gaisha clothes, now we have no clothes. We used to parade around in uh, better clothes than the guy have, now we're naked. And it used to be that we had the latest haircuts and we and the latest Gaisha fashions, and now we're all in Avelis all the time, therefore we have long hair and long beards. Instead of the big fancy houses we used to have, now we're thrown out of the houses and we find ourselves in fields and in living in garbage dumps. Check out the Torah, in other words, the Tanakh, and see why such things happen. Right? And there's no class of Jews among us that's free of guilt. And he starts with the Rabbonim and the Rosh Hashivas. Toba Midbar now, not all, Kitsas, right? Many of the Chachme Akronenu. Now, who, that, that's the generation of the Ron and the Kazdekreskis, to tell you the truth. Uh, and those types, now I'm not talking about them specifically, but he said, what was, what was, you know, the situation in the Frum world, the Torah world, the Yeshiva world, before 1391? Sin awesome, Zenit, there's a lot of, Hatred between the different Abonim, different Shashivas. Everybody was just looking out 
to build a reputation, to show how well they can read, and to make new chedushim, upsakim perushim. In other words, the old cry that there was a gap between the Talmudic elite on the one hand and the masses on the other, and the Talmudic elite is only spending its time on its own stuff, which is, you know, like we say today, co- compete for more creds by publishing, uh, you know, different Chadushim or, or Pirushim and becoming famous that way, even though the Hamonam has no idea what you're talking about. But Talmud, Mishnasa, Bechiburim, Mechiburim Shonim, Lo Yoilu, Lo Yatsilu, Lashini Adesa Svars. You know, in other words, now you, this is the opposite of Yeshivism. In other words, person like this, no, I read right on a Chiddush or a, you know, on a Rishon or something like that. No, has it helped the average guy out there? Now, if you tell me for, I'm trying to explain what he means. If you tell me a guy writes, I'm just making this up. He says, a guy writes a safer now to explain in English Shilchashab is in a very easy way. That's a different story. Then you're helping the Hamunam. Or if a person writes something to explain some question of Amuna in a way that the average person can 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 access and 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 find of help, that's a different story. That's fine. But if you're writing something on talk for Cohen, so to speak, you're not helping anybody except yourself. That's what he means, right? I'll call Coach Tilly Halachas. They you know figure out a way. Uh, so this is the Shiva world of the 1300s. He's saying in Spain. That on each little nakuda you write tili alochas, which ordinarily we say was a good thing. And therefore they didn't spread among the hamunam the real message of the Torah, which is not about dikduke and chiluke and pilpule and all the rest of it, but it should be tzidkasa prishusa kedushasa. Have you applied your learning to spreading? Better behavior and more amuna and more kedusha and precious among the masses. Masha zemagal zemaster. Instead, is always a competition between the talmid chachamim. One says something, the other one slugs it up. Masha zesoser zematir. Achenaza tarachas kishtei torts machalkusam. Al kori achabish yargo habish adrechem magal zemavusam. And they'll spin whole spider webs to slug up and and make the other guy look like he's a bad scholar and a dummy. Because they're too dumb to see that, you know, this is not what the Torah is about. They spend all the time and they don't tell uh, and they don't explain to the public what the public is doing wrong. Hashem obviously put a moral torpor a moral tiredness on them, and it's like they close their eyes to the needs of the Hamon. And the result is that there's a big gap and an estrangement between the Velt in general, the most Jews on the one hand, and the small elite of big rabbis and scholars and Talmudic professionals who have their own little guild and, you know, and hawk among themselves, and therefore there's no influence on the conduct of the masses from the elites. Okay? And the result is So therefore, it reduces the, uh, uh, the status of the Torah in the eyes of everybody because you say, oh, it's Gemara. What's Gemara? It's Gemara got nothing to do with me. It's a bunch of rabbis, you know, hawking with each other. What, 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 what does it got to do with me? 
So a person says, like, do you want to support the study Torah? Why the heck should I do that? So one rabbi can go in and hop with another. How, how does it affect me? That was a bad sign. And that's one problem. And that, I would say, would be the Haredim, so to speak. That's what he charges the Haredi world. Then he has also tied on the modern Orthodox world. The modern Orthodox, or the left wingers, let me, that's a better way of putting it. They, uh, and this is one group in Spain, among the Talmud Chachamim, this would be the left wing, who try to explain the Torah and everything from a Greek philosophical point of view. Okay? This is still a little bit of leftovers of what uh, Fritz Bear calls Averroism, and uh, trying to uh, refract the Gemara even through the lens of Aristotle instead of the other way around. Uh, they take the Torah stuff and they close it in the Greek. And they all go bad. And there were everything in the Torah has to be logical and rational. And if it doesn't match their rationality, which of course in the 14th century was the height of reason, you know, uh, then the Torah is wrong. Uh, therefore they mess everything up. And they figure that the Torah of Moshe has to be something that's able to be mashlam, to, to, is lacking in some things and requires Aristotle to supply the lacks. And as a real from guy, he goes on and on about how bad that is. So he's criticized the Haredim and I'll say the... the uh, the le- the the uh, left wing. Let's let's use that term, okay? Uh, on and on and on and on and on. But I'm not going to. Uh, what's the result of this rational approach to the Torah? Which, by the way, is you know what's wrong with that? And he says like this: If everything is 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 rational, Elisa. Uh, he's actually quite sophisticated. He does a lot of language over here. And what he's saying is as follows. What's the purpose of the Torah? How do you understand the Torah? Uh, is it a... Um, is it a I'll, I'll, I'll use this formulation. Maybe I got it right, maybe not. I say, this is the words that come to me right now. Is it an emotional document or is it an intellectual document? Okay? Uh, because if it's an emotional document, it, it governs how you feel and how you act. If it's an intellectual intellectual document, then it's like any any intellectual document. Because these intellectuals, those who 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 advanced, this is a very professorial way. I mean, it has to be an academic way, but it's the academy of the 14th century, of course. He says that what's the what's ain't What's really desired? knows the highest uh, uh, madrega. Uh, to uh, should I put to find the intellectual uh, uh, path to uh, discover in which lies the only road to human perfection. 
the intellectual path. He has sagas and musculus only if you understand the intelligibles, as they call them. In other words, the, the abstract philosophical ideas. That's where you'll, you'll, you'll get the real stuff. Uh, so in other words, let's put it this way. If you understand the Torah stories, but you don't understand their intellectual philosophical meaning, then you're garnished. Um, they they think that they're by identifying dinim and agadatas and other stories in the Torah of Torah that they're raising the prestige of the Torah, but they're doing the opposite. Because what they're really saying is, take the Chumash, for example, I'll just make it up. Take the Chumash. Uh, you read a story about, I don't know, Yaakov and the ladder. So uh, uh, you end up thinking, and, and you explain this as a 14th century Jewish rabbinic rationalist would do in Spain by saying the ladder he saw was the ladder of the musculus. And therefore, uh, you know, Ram Barbell talks about this. Uh, when Yaakov sees Sulam Musa of Rosh, uh, Arts of Rosh Magia Shemaimo, so. Uh, the nigla, listen close to what I'm saying. That ladder that he sees in the dream represents something. What does it represent? Mutzavarts at the bottom is, you know, to understand the Torah just regularly. But the Rosh Hashanah, but that would be to understand the Torah philosophically. And that was in accordance with the norms of Western philosophy at that time. Uh, really? I'll keep tough with Torah and so much in Russia. That way you won't get any, and you won't understand what the Torah is about. Now, is that what Yaakov was thinking about? The, uh, the top of the ladder was, uh, you know, was uh, 14th century metaphysics. In Cain Lafit Devraim, then what you're basically saying is that uh, Aristotle and Plato were uh, higher than Moshe. Because the Moshe hadn't worked real hard. Um, and and we didn't have the benefit today of of uh, the writings of Aristotle and Plato. We wouldn't understand the real more in the Torah. And that leads to the feeling, and he, now he's speaking contemporaneously, feeling that um, if it's true that the Torah is just a sort of intellectual kind of uh, document, a philosophical kind of document, then it means tzadik lo also. Then it's not an emuna type document. Actually, a philosopher kind of knocks the emuna because emuna means you believe in something even though you can't prove it. Uh, you should only believe in that which you can prove, and uh, because then it's not emuna anymore. Then it's knowledge. Uh, if that's the case, loma nomus eleven is Then this leads to the attitude that why should we suffer for it? Uh, why should we die? Al Hashem. Why should we uh, suffer all hagolos v'kerposo? Hamatrinu After all, persecution prevents a person from reaching intellectual perfection. To put it this way, if all religion, Judaism and Christianity, ends up being just some kind of disguised way of apprehending scientific and philosophical truths, as was thought in the 14th century, it doesn't matter what religion you're in. Okay? So why should you suffer for any one religion or the other. Why did you have all these martyrs like you had the three friends of Daniel in the Bible? 
And why did Daniel uh, risk his life, Moser Nevish, not to skip Mincha, as the story goes? Why did those four, Daniel, Hanan, Mishal, and Zariah, um, go through all the trouble to get kosher food when they were in college, as it says in the beginning of the book of Daniel? Who cares? I mean, to live a life where you don't have to keep all those uh, mitzvahs is an easier life. And if you convert to another religion and, and drop all the mitzvahs, I mean, then you then then you you, you skip all the anti-Semitism. And even if you switch to Christianity, you can still um, study philosophy and rise to the highest part. In other words, if religion at the end of the day, sort of like a deism, even though it's in the 14th century, if religion at the end of the day, it's just another way of apprehending uh, what you could learn in a proper college course, then why do you need the religion? Let's put it that way. Okay? Um, so he's really into this sort of thing. And, uh, of course, he, you know, says that's not right and proper and all the rest of it. And... Um, instead, they make fun of uh, of the regular Fromis who just have a emunah b'shuta. Okay? Uh, now, I'm not doing justice, but I'm, I'm just giving you the uh, the Rashi Prakram, as they would say over here. Uh, if you're interested, you'll take the trouble to go find this online yourself. It's very, very interesting, because he's describing the state of Jewish intellectuality uh, wrestling with Aristotelianism and the secular knowledge in the 14th century. We have some of this today, uh, not a small amount either. Uh, and anyway, he goes on to say that uh, the result is you have a whole class of what we call skeptics. Um, how should I put it? You could have a. Per- I don't want to get personal anything like that imagine again i'm just speaking here in strictly theoretical sense imagine a guy who goes to shul and he's let's say for example philosophy professor cc so what are you even going to show for well i live in new york i live in teen i live in baltimore i live in a jewish community so i can form you know i want my children to marry jewish for whatever reason i conform and uh i attend services all the rest of it I don't really believe all this stuff. You understand? Especially when the rabbi gives a speech. You know, he's a cretin because he doesn't know what I know. And really, you know, I'm skeptical. I just go along, you know, uh, uh But really, I know because of philosophy, because of history, because of archaeology, because of Bible criticism, because of a hundred different, you know, uh, comparative religion a hundred uh, different academic reasons, sound ones, that, uh, that this is all not really true. Uh, so what's the result? If if you have large numbers of people like that, what's the expression? It's wide, but but uh, barely an inch deep. There's no moon out there. You understand? The person doesn't really believe. It just goes along. They, I, I read in America, they call social orthodoxy, but that's about richie riches and materialism. Here I'm not talking about that. Here he's he's talking about the phenomenon of intellectual skepticism, okay? Um, in which case, it's toxic for Amuna. 
It's certainly toxic for a moon of Shuta, no question about that. I'm not saying everybody has a moon of Shuta, but I'm just saying it's certainly toxic for a moon of Shuta. And uh, it can, let me put it this way, how do you keep your kids religious? I mean, that's not the right way to put it, but you know what I mean when I say that. Uh, and Baral Maralai Bador Azeh, Hanivzeh, Nimtsubami, Rashaim Shulam Mechamud Kerem Tarbui, and my people here in Spain. And again, these are the survivors. You have a lot of Shulam Mechamud Kerem Torah, a lot of people who are the small foxes that bite away at the Torah. But equal Eish Zara, and they bring an Eish Zara Lifni Hashem, meaning, like I said before, they'll bring in a, uh, I hate to use the cliches, but they'll bring in a Kfira book or something like that into Shol, Vaikikro, Yehudi, and now he paraphrases in a in a parody, ironic kind of a fashion, sarcastic fashion, the story of uh, Yehoiakim and the uh, Megillah that was given him by by Baruch and and, and Jeremiah. Like Kikro Yehudi Sholosh Dalsa the Gimel Sifri Avonim, when the guy reads a few pages of his Treif book, shall we say, Yikor Betar Lishon Atom Megillah, then he'll share. He'll use his tongue will become a razor and destroy the whole Torah. Let's put it to Malagala Mitzvahs, Cholakala Kabbalah. You want you know make fun of people who do the mitzvahs, uh, and Cholakala Kabbalah. He'll he'll argue on Jewish tradition because after all, history will tell you it's not true. You know that's that kind of thing. And these guys are pretty bad news. Uh, and this attitude is very widespread, right? Rov Gedoli Atzibor, all the the communal leaders are of this type. That's what he says. That really they're very skeptical. They're Jewish because they're Jewish, but uh, as I said before, their emuna is is, is very uh, uh, thin. And these are the richy riches and the leaders of the community. Atzilim Gaonim Roehem, the the Atzilim, the Gaonim. I don't think he means the rabbis. I hope not. Uh, and their shepherds, maybe. These are the ones who are the court Jews. Okay, the court Jews, the ones who work at the royal courts, or at least had worked there before 1391, uh, weren't like you read in some uh, book, you know. Real frummies who were Moiser Nefesh or Kal Yisrael and, uh, you know, used whatever um, uh, creds they had with the government to help the fellow Jews. They were a whole class, uh, he, he claims, of extreme, extreme skeptics who were Jewish because they're Jewish, but they make fun of the religion uh, and, you know, they hold that the uh, the frummies are a bunch of weirdos. The son of Hashem, Lerachem, they call Shavayim, this class of court Jews and people who have influence with the government and the nobles used to be the group that we relied on for protection to help us from the mobs. God gave them and the kings in Spain formerly had appointed them to the highest positions in the treasury, which is true. They used to give these Jews who they trusted the keys to the to the, to the money to the treasury, and all the other guys had to you know bow and scrape to them. But the trouble is, power corrupted them. 
and they forgot that they're Jewish, Jewish and they should be low profile. And these richy rich types and powerful court Jews forgot where they came from and they built themselves large palaces, and they all bought, you know, expensive cars, as he says over here, um, chariots with uh, fancy horses and mules, and they dressed too fancy schmancy, and the women definitely overdressed, dripping with diamonds, you know, like you see in the in the cliches, and they had mius kite. No, they they held in contempt those who are into Torah, those who are into anova, and those who are into working for a living. Instead, they loved lounging around. No, the life of the idle rich, gay of a gaon, arrogance. Derek raw, he has They loved the sroarabonus, meaning masters. Mastery, bosses. They obviously weren't interested uh, in Torah and Chachma, which is the only thing that they can really bequeath to their kids, he says. They held in contempt what their fathers had once held in esteem, meaning the Torah. And that's what took them down. The Philosom. And now you look at these people who a few years ago were rich and powerful and now they're reduced to the opposite. The ones who haven't converted are now poor and in bad shape. Because God gave me the And what's even worse, he says, is that they fought with each other. In other words, it's not like they constituted a certain class. Uh, a certain elite of a, of, a, of a certain type, and this elite o- operated in a united way, even against the interests of the Hamonam. But it wasn't like that. Like I always say, only in the Batman movies do the wicked people get together in real life. Uh, the druggies shoot each other all the time, and the mafias, you know, fight each other all the time. And that's what all the movies and the TV shows are about, you know, because the bad guys aren't united. They, they Each one wants to take over from the other. So, the Jewish upper classes, um, Mamash did this. And the result is they destroyed each other. And the result was that we had no no uh, Jews in influential positions to stop the, the pogroms. That's what, and, and that's nothing but the plain truth. Uh, as he says over here, now they're reduced. Uh, how does he say over here? They all competed for government positions. And they all said Lashonar about each other to the king and the officials. They didn't realize that they're risking their own positions. And the end would be bad. Right? They were all looking to try to grab the wealth of the other person by taking them down. And even resorted to murder. Here he's referring to a very famous and notorious case, which happened about a t- 10 or 15 years before 1391, when the most powerful Jew, who was in like Flint with the king at that time, Henry II, I think, uh, of Castile. That's a long story by itself, but it was a guy, uh, Joseph Pichon. I think I did this once. Uh, 
Make a long story short, the other rich Jews were jealous of his power, and they conspired to murder him. The Hainu, the king died, and the new king was young, and they just got like uh, like the French used to have left with the cachet. They got a um, they they persuaded the new king that there's Mister X out there who deserves to die because he's a threat to the Jewish community, and the king took their word for it, and he signed the death order, and they immediately killed this guy, Yosef Bichon, who was not guilty. And when the king found out about it, he was really angry that the guys had, had uh, fooled him in this way, taken advantage of him to get him to sign a blank piece of paper, and he didn't know what it was all about. And first of all, he killed many of the people that perpetrated this. And second of all, this gave ammunition to the anti-Semites and the Cortes and the parliament at that time that they deprived the Jewish communities of their power to impose the death penalty and similar things like that, which were a hallmark of the Jewish autonomy once upon a time in Spain, and really meant that they had a um, uh, a state within a state. Uh, this is like in the we've talked about this in the Rosh and the Raj where you see this, uh, meaning that they could that they could um, really have a full uh, autonomous com- co- communities and. That meant that the power of the Jewish community leadership was tremendously degraded, and that meant that they weren't in a position to affect events when 1391 hit. So notice they they chopped what's the expression? They chopped off the nose to spite the face, to cut their own throats. And he knows it, and he's calling a spade a spade. They they shed innocent blood. Woe to these people who engaged in so many intrigues and plots to bring down the other person, right? And they knocked the other one down. And what was the result? These Jews who, for one reason or another, were held in high esteem by the king and the nobles, were now knocked down by other Jews, and he says black and white. And by the time it's all over, uh, the result of all this intra-Jewish fighting was that the anti-Semites in the Spanish parliament, uh, the medieval parliament, the Cortes, were able, therefore, to say to the kings, now you should enforce the old laws that have been in the books forever, but were never, um, never kept, which is no Jew should hold a position at court. No Jew should hold position of government. And so you ended up in a situation uh, in Castile, certainly, where uh, the government was Jew-free, and that's not good. You need somebody in the White House. You don't realize it. You need somebody there, okay, at least. You know, you need a lobby for the Jews. This is the only way Jews survived throughout the the, the, the years because they had lobbyists and uh, other influencers who could you know, try to counter the efforts of the anti-Semites who were always there, and the result was that nobody was there. Since we had no Mordechai's left, then the anti-Semites, the Mashchisim, were able to carry out their uh, plan to wipe us out, to exterminate their Geza, Right? And uh, and God did not forgive this, okay. And the result was everybody went down. So basically, the corruption 
of the Jewish upper class in Spain brought about not only its own destruction, so it knows all the stuff that he did turned out to be, what's the right word, self, um, you know, punishing, okay, self-destructive, but it took all the other Jews down with him. Because as I say before, it's like there were two good Jewish lobbies and one each one knocked the other one out, so therefore there are zero Jewish lobbies at court and there's nobody to stop the bad guys from carrying out their stuff, okay? Which is a very sophisticated um, interpretation of uh, events, but it's nothing but the plain truth. That was the whole story of Yosef Pichon. Uh, and he says, you know, he says, listen, if if we don't have, you know, lobbyists, then, um, then, then we're doomed, okay? Then we're doomed. Uh, now, he goes on, after criticizing these different elite groups, to criticize the Jewish public in general, and this could apply to anybody at all times, because no one has been stirred by the Gezeris to, la- to launch a wave of introspection and um, uh, self-reflection and criticism. Instead, as I said before, just walk around like that. Let me just speak in general terms about what the problems are, he says. To, to, to you know, crunch it down to a few words. Here's the basics of the Tsarist, the problems that lie within the Jewish community that we don't attend to. There's nobody, there's no Amuna out there in, in the God and the Torah. And there's no um, humility, there's no self-knowledge of the sin, so you can't um, fix anything if you're not honest enough to recognize that you have problems that need fixing. And you find that and this is like and the mitzvahs we do stink and the tefillahs we offer stink anybody who's who's honest, and he's anybody who's not stricken with the blindness of chenufa and gaiva and stupidity, that all the troubles happening is caused by us. But ain't Rav may make it, but you don't see anybody say it. And those, I'm the only guy saying it. Kitardema. It's a very interesting phrase that uh, the Averis that are so widespread have caused like a snooze, you know what I mean? Like a certain moral sleep to hit us that people just don't react. Uh, how should I put this? Something bad happens today in Israel and America. Nobody does anything. You know, I mean, there's a, you know, it's a headline, it's on your sheep world and blah, blah, blah. And then life goes on. And it's like, no, what are we supposed to do? And we don't know what to do about it because we have nobody to tell us what the reasons are. And so we ignore it. So that's what he calls Tardemus Avonenu Nafalenu. The deep sleep caused by our virus falls on us. But instead, he tells the reader, remove the mask that's covering your ability to see. It's a wonderful Hebrew. Masa Avanenu. Why can't I see what's wrong with me? What's wrong with us? 
because I can't see. My eyes are covered. What are your eyes covered with? A masveh, like a cloth. What's the cloth made out of? Chanufa. <laughs> Hypocrisy. You understand? Self-flattery. If I could remove... It's the inability, for me, speaking of his generation, the inability to see that there's something wrong with us. The inability. The refusal. So it's like my eyes are covered up with like a, a, a sheet or something like that, composed of chanufa. But if you would remove it, if you had the eyes to see, but I'm, I'm uh, what's the right word? I'm skeptical because the, the truth is removed from most of us. And most of us don't have this capacity for self-criticism, self-reflection. Let's put it this way. This 180 degrees from, 180 degrees from uh, Novartic, where you're supposed to be so self-ruthless, critical. Here's the exact opposite. In Tisbon Alam of the Munichazipiyam, if they would look honestly, they would see that the Muna is, is gone. And therefore, our leadership um, can't help. Right? Our leaders, including the rabbis, are not mocked, he says, for the Averas to try to fix them. The rabbis and the leaders close their eyes to the Chil Shabbos that's going on uh, and has been going on for a long time. And like I say, here he, you know, he, he calls it out. Hello, I mean, who doesn't know that when we had court Jews, when we had powerful Jews at court, they used to cook on Shabbos, because, you know, everybody else at court is having a good time, so they went also, and even though it's Saturday, they would have their chickens, <laughs> he puts it, roast chicken, and not because they're starving, but because out of luxury. And I'm talking about the biggest rabbis, and the biggest shtadlans, uh, uh, as we would say, uh, and nobody said anything about it. It's been other bad things, and if anybody goes and criticizes them, they would they would come after you. That's a pasuk. They hated anyone who gave to chacha, and they despised anyone who told the truth. Okay, and and basically they told the I'm, I'm using American language. They told the rabbis, "Shut up, Al Tiru, don't look." And to the seers, don't look what I'm doing. Don't tell us bad stuff. Tell us flattery. Go in crooked waves with us. So, to again, to use modern language, you don't want to criticize the richest guy in the shul. Something like that. Even if he does something wrong. And everything is supposed to be, everything was great and peachy keen. Most of these people, and now it's spread to the masses, are not covered by hashkocha. They don't really believe in what we're talking about, summum bonum, you know, scharva onish. Very few believe in, he says it black and white, 
Very few people believe now in Spain in Scharvonish. You never hear anybody talk about Olam Haba, or, you know, you're doing an Aveir. Because let's put it this way, the person does the Aveir doesn't want to think about what the price for this is. So they say it doesn't exist. Instead, all the Jews are spending all their time trying to each eat, eat, go in competition with each other, each one eat up the other guy alive. Or to try to tell them to the guy and get in trouble with the law. Uh, even now, after the 1391, and they go and put Lashonar about the Jews out on the internet. Uh, we go back to the original situation of Moses, where he saw two Jews fighting with each other. Even in their big city, and everybody will find out, it'll be a chil Hashem, they don't care. No city is big enough for two rich people who, who, who compete with each other. For stupidities, they'll start whole fights between mishpachas. But the Bukhars come and they'll raise hell. And make a big deal, you know, like we say today, because the guy didn't get shlishi. You know what I mean? Something like that. But the Rosh Hakayim Shalta Emis Sofer Mipem Emis Nachon Adaber Rogues There's Neshchat Sholenu. Most of the bad stuff that's happened to us, Besibas Pritzi Amenu, is because of bad Jews who tell on us. Uh, now, it doesn't necessarily mean a Moser, but somebody who spreads bad stuff about the Jews. Like I say on the internet, I should go and Mr. Renu. They revealed anything bad stuff about that should be uh, not revealed. And they tell the Goyim how the other Jews cheat them. And it caused a big Chil Hashem, which is it's wrong to do that. Because the truth is, we've Handled our customers with Ono'o and Mirma, but Kavana Chukim Lotom Ba'arma, Adachir Masunu, and this led to them having us in contempt and hatred. And you ask any guy in Spain, what's the story with the Jews? They're Ganavim, they're Ramoy, they're cheaters, Menafim, they're fornicators, and Sarah's Bogdim. And the result is that the word Jewish is now a word of contempt. And if you ask any guy in Spain about any kind of low type of activity, that's a Jewish activity. You understand? That's a Jewish activity. For example, um, if you're talking about the you know, brothels, oh, that's a Jewish activity, you see? So in other words, instead of us making a Kiddush, they'll make a Chil Hashem. Right? A Chil Hashem. And he goes on and on and on about this. Right? And there's and I'm the only one calling it out. He says nobody takes the trouble to say what I'm saying, which is necessary if you're ever going to fix it. If you that's the one problem, you know, when when you like in dictatorships, you know, if you if you don't see what's wrong, how's it ever going to change? It's only going to get worse, okay? And um, and all this leads to a contempt for true religion and a life of Torah. And a life of trying to live up to the to the laws and the ideals of the Torah, that's considered for losers. I don't know. Hold it for a minute. Okay. Uh, and he says, yeah, to switch this. He says uh, that the biggest problem, as they said before, 
was it hasn't led to a wave of teshuva. Now, uh, here he says something very interesting. Let me contrast this with modern times. One of the things that happened after the Holocaust, this is just interesting because you and I are living in this world. One of the things, that, one of the things, not the only thing, of course, happened after the Holocaust was a revival of Torah study. It's, a, it's interesting. You know, it's, I'm thinking maybe I'm talking about that in Teaneck in July. Uh, you, you can't deny it. Uh, now, that's not the only thing that happened, and not everybody became from I know that. But you, it is interesting that since 1945, there's been a tremendous eschatches of Torah in quantity and quality. Um, it's like a whole world today. Uh, that did not happen, he says, in his time, in the wake of the Holocaust of 1391. And I'm going to read it. Now, by the way, I just want to mention, it does happen after the 1420. But he's living before that. And he's, and maybe it's because he wrote it, I don't know. But he says over here that Emes uh, Naderes, uh, nobody pays attention to his sin to have any kind of regret which one of us is, is willing to give up our gashmias now and start thinking about Jewish things and sacrificing for, for Yiddishkeit who is, who, which one of us who do you see is doing full teshuva who is going into yeshivas and learning? Where do you find anybody other than those who are just like as if they were uh, into Gashmias, dedicating the Gashmias like a Nazir was dedicated to Naziris? That, that's a Pusik. And he goes on to say, Nobody has, has shown any kind of humility in the wake of the of the, of the destruction of the huge, um, how should I put it, the huge Jewish situation you had in Spain. It was like a malchus, he says. Who in Spain today ever has any kind of uh, regret for destruction of base of Migdash? The no, the from Jews should feel bad about destruction based on from a Ruchnius point of view, and certainly what happened recently in Spain. It's like as a fire raging around somebody and they're dancing drunkenly, you know, as we say in the 20th century thing is. They're uh, they're dancing on the, on the deck of the Titanic. They know very well that their lives are hanging by a thread. We could get killed any day by the Spanish. But they don't feel anything. And they don't have any regret or they don't respond appropriately to the crisis. Uh, in, the, in the past, it used to be that if one Jew was in bad shape, he would do tshuva, others would help him, and things like that. Uh, now, okay, people eat each other alive. And, even, I repeat, he's talking about the from now, the ones who did not convert, and the ones who did not um, get killed. 
He said, and still, what are they doing now? Loshon Abushi Akam, they're going around with the latest Geisha fashions. Mukfi Rosh Mukulchi Zakam, they all shave because that's what the Christians do. They all have that, uh, you know, uh, what's the right word? Called Friar Tuck hairdo, you know, the hairdo in which, um, you know, you, Mukulchi Zakam, Mukfi Rosh, you know what I mean? Like a round Beatles type of haircut. Uh, which was the fashion at that time. In other words, but you shave off your your whole side uh, uh, burns. Makas ayev musar akzari hikayisano. A terrible makas hit us, and we don't realize it, right? So in other words, the dumbest thing is to get hit over the head and not re- and, and then walk around um, drunk as if nothing had happened. And if you say we do mitzvahs, ain't but a ma'isim mitzvah shleimus. There is no such thing as a full mitzvah. Among us, all of our mitzvahs are dominating. All the rest of it is shutfis, is mixed together with chenufa, ziv, laziness. Why don't we learn from the guy from the Catholics? Look how from they are. The farmers and the rich all give money to the priests. And to the seminaries, and to the churches, and to the monks, they're happy to give large amounts of money to them. That's why Christianity is so powerful. And the nobles and the others all want some of their children to become priests, right? And they get great covered in the churches. Now, by contrast, the rich Jews. Menalim chachmeim belechem tsar, they pay the rabbis bupkis. Umayim lachatz levashel chatzam. I mean, literally bupkis, so that they're starving. Hey mochim kenei melachim bala hushkem sichem. The richy riches live it up. In other words, they can afford it. It's, it's some change for them, and they don't give. They don't support the yeshivas, the rabbanim, the rosh yeshivas, the students, the rabbis at all. The richy riches live up the good life. They they live low shim kenesichem. They live lives of princes. Chachamim, but the the Torah scholars, they 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 live on bupkis, and and they make them feel like recipients of charity. The Talmud uh, Chachamim and the others like that have to go around begging from door to door, from what knows hitting up this rich guy and that rich guy for a little bit of money, and the guy gives them trouble before he gives them money. That's why the Torah is forgotten over here. That means the shepherds, the rich. You don't find a rich guy in Spain who wants his son to go into learning. They're so powerful they consider learning to be, you know, a cherpa. And when the, the non-rich see how the rich treat uh, Torah scholarship, so they also asked to act that way. They'd rather their kids went into some low job like a garbage uh, disposal guy, rather than go into learning because learning is even lower than that. So, in other words, we haven't learned a lesson here. Now, coming near the end, and you see that if somebody gives a speech in shul. Let's say a Musr, like a sermon, because they didn't give sermons in regular way. They gave Musr sermons in the 14th century, 15th century. 
The rich people are in shul, fall asleep on him. In other words, they publicly show condemn. So the rabbi gets up to make a drasha, and the kitsinim, the rich people who sat in their own section in the shul, go to sleep. And then the others are talking. So, you ever been in a shul where the rabbi's trying to make a speech and everybody's talking? And the person is trying to give a speech. Obviously, he's speaking from personal experience. Is Because he's trying to talk and he's drowned out by everybody talking. And in the women's section, uh, they're yakking. And if he gives them tochacha, you'll see velachto, it won't stop him. They'll do even worse. Which is the opposite of the Goyim, Hebachanotrim, which is so different than the Catholics. When they go and hear a speech in, in the church, they're all silent and they're chastised by his uh, you know, criticism. You don't see anybody fall asleep in church. His words fall in the crowd like like rain, and they listen to what he says. And we're too dumb and stupid to pick, to learn even from the Catholics. We sly like in fleas, like in in Erbusha and in Chlima. And he goes on and on and on. And if you they ever do give a little bit of tzedakah, Tishnasvagim they say, oh, I had to give money for yeshiva. I've been ripped off. You know, notice they don't do it with a happy face. And before, um, well, no, he's talking about the rich people. They promise a lot, but they don't deliver. And before they give anything, the money, instead of, they have no hesitation in spending, no, they can't say it like this, I can't afford it, because they can afford to spend large amounts of money on quarrels with other rich riches. But when it comes to giving tzedakah, then they cry, oh, this is killing us. And when the Gabi tzedakah comes to the house of the rich, they they say, come tomorrow. Right? And tzedakah yasul tzedakah lefonim, and anything they give has to be public, so they get credit for it. And they usually give the money to the wrong causes. And the truly deserving poor don't get anything. Again, I imagine he's talking about himself over here. And what about davening? What's the story of davening here in Spain? It's a bad news. He's talking about, now he's criticizing the Chazanim. Some of the people, Bishloch Lashonim Shalchua, when they try to daven, they don't know Ivra. It's as if they were wearing dirty clothes, meaning that's their that's the quality of their davening. And nobody picks a, a qualified Chazan. A Chazan who's really from, as this forum say. So they just want somebody with a good voice. They just listen to the to the music. Look, they don't care if the chazan is a low life and lives a reprobate life. Even chazanim who are 
notorious Reishatzish, believe it or not. In Kodesh Matsasi, Ani Akosim Munabrush Kanisusam. I tried myself, me, myself, and I, he says, tried to do something about this problem. And by Yazrina, who made a bias, he's getting personal now. He says, in my shul, we got rid of the of the Chazan who was carrying on with Eishetzish, but they hate me for doing it. I've got some of the richie riches against me. I wanted to live quietly among them. I tried to persuade their kids to get a bris. But they fought me. And so on and so forth. He ends up a little bit, you know. You get the general idea. All uh, from here, this is a uh, a document written in 1415, and it doesn't sound. And let me put it this way, and it's pretty uh, rips off the bark, as they say, you know, tears off the uh, band aid. Uh, but he's writing it in Hebrew for Jews, and he's writing it to say that you know don't have false piety. So, oh, how terrible things are to happen to us in 1391, and 50 percent of Jews converted. And many others were killed, and the rest of us are in bad news now. And what have we done about it? You know, zip. Uh, that's where he's coming from. And uh, the only thing is, and with this I'll conclude that on, on a good note, uh, he lived just before things changed, and the bad times stopped, at least temporarily. And a new king came to the throne, let's put it this way, and a new court Jew appeared after a, a complete dearth of court Jews who wasn't from Guy and maybe he actually read this and took it to heart, I don't know but he launched, starting in the 1420s, what we would call today a Torah revival but that's because the times allowed for it but still that didn't do anything about the tens of thousands of Jews, maybe more by this time, it converted to Christianity and weren't coming back, as well as others from the non-young generation. Because whenever you have a what I would call today a, a Torah revolution, it starts with the younger generation, obviously, because they're the ones getting the chinuch. The older guys are for Darbin, you know, they're they're uh, they're they're too far gone. And uh, welcome to the very complex uh, reality of Jewish life in Spain in the 15th century. But I see I've gone well over side, but I wanted to finish the document because I don't think, uh, as I see most people even know this exists, and uh, obviously I haven't read the whole thing or read bits and pieces, but you get the idea. He calls a spade a spade. Anyway, once again, we'll close down with this and maybe we'll pick this up next time. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidovidkatz.com.